Psalm chapter 73 tonight. Would you join me there? Psalm chapter 73. And as you're turning, I'm going to put three questions on the screen. And I, I want you to answer these questions true or false. You don't have to answer them out loud. Uh, just answer them in your own heart. All right? Answer them to yourself, true or false. Number one, I am never stressed by the circumstances of life. Number two, <laughs> I have never ceased to trust God in daily life. And number three, I never question why bad people win and good people don't. How many of you have ever <clears throat> looked around at the seeming prosperity of the wicked and the suffering of the just and said to yourself, I just don't understand. I just don't get it. We're going to, what we're going to see tonight in Psalm 73 is going to be something that all of us can relate to because the author of this psalm, his name was Asaph, he was actually a music director, if you will, a worship leader, and he did the very same thing. One of the easiest things to do when facing adversity is to get our eyes off of God. But here's what we always have to remember. When we take our eyes off the Lord, then we develop a, an entirely different perspective. And this perspective is not healthy. So I want you to follow along with me as I read aloud from Psalm chapter 73. Truly, God is good to Israel and to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me... My feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. 
They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, this is God's people, they ask this question, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought, verse 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. The issues that Asaph was struggling with had been resolved by the time that he wrote this particular psalm. So understand tonight that what we've read and what we're going to read are his thoughts as he looked back to the struggles that he faced. And he starts out, he starts out good. He starts out with the right proposition in verse 1, truly God is good to Israel. Amen. That's the right that's the right view, that's the right attitude. And the history of the nation of Israel gave proof as to God's goodness. There was his protection of them in the wilderness. There was his provision of food and water. There was there in the book of Joshua, there was this great victory over Jericho. And, and we read of other uh, great victories against really overwhelming odds. And all of these things were more than enough to establish the truth that yes, God is good. And looking back, again, keep in mind, he's looking back. And as Asaph looked back, he knew that to be true. He knew that to be a fact. But in the midst of it all, Asaph lost sight of that truth. And it caused a problem. And he's very honest and he's very open about his problem. He began to envy the wicked. Look again at verse 3. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph knew how God had dealt with things in the past, how the good were blessed and how the evil were cursed. But it's not working out that way in his life. And quite frankly, he's got a problem with it. 
He's got an issue with how God is dealing with him. He was so troubled by what he was seeing that he said it, it staggered him. Note the words gone and slipped there in uh, whatever verse it is. Verse 2, but my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. So what we learned there is that Asaph was staggering under the load of unanswered questions. He was finding himself wandering from the path that he knew God wanted him to walk. Have you ever been there where you had more questions than you did answers? Absolutely. And that's where Asaph was. And he was getting so caught up in this that he was taking his eyes off of the Lord. And quite honestly, again, he, he confesses that he began to stagger. He began to stray from the path that he knew God wanted him to walk. When someone asked Socrates what would most vex good men, here was his answer, the prosperity of the bad. The prosperity of the bad. Now, don't miss what's happening here, and I've already alluded to it. Asaph had taken his eyes off the Lord. He had taken his eyes off the eternal, and he had gotten them on the temporal. And because he no longer focused on the Lord, he no longer focused on maintaining a right relationship with him, envy had taken over his heart. And it was driving him from the path of the righteous. Are you with me tonight? All right. So with that, let's talk about a few things tonight. Let's talk, first of all, uh, from our text, about some things that caused his envy. And we can identify three distinct causes for Asaph's envy here. And to tell you the truth, at first, they seem like ironclad reasons to forget God and to live for self. I mean, just looking at it from a human perspective, it's like, well, what am I doing? I need to live this way. And the first one is the end of verse 3, the prosperity of the wicked. He said, I saw, he said, I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he goes on, for there are no bands talk about that in a moment there were no bands in their death but their strength is firm they are not in trouble as other men neither are they plagued like other men the word bands there means pain so here's what Asaph was observing and it's the same thing that we have observed and maybe we vocalized it or maybe we've just thought it but it seemed like there was little pain or suffering in the death of the wicked in comparison to the lives that they lived. They lived these evil, wicked, mean, bad, and nasty lives, and yet when it came time for them to die, it was like, boom, they're gone. Now, this prolonged illness or prolonged sickness that, that not only they had to endure, but but the family has to endure, and the friends have to endure as well. There didn't seem to be any of that in the death of the wicked. They lived in pleasure, and they died with ease. 
There seemed to be no torturing diseases or slow, painful deaths. And as Asaph looked at that and observed that, it caused him to envy. And then he goes on and he talks about the pride of the wicked. Look again at verse 6. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more. Can you relate to this? Neighbors, friends, maybe co-workers, unsafe family members. They have more than their heart could wish. We put it like this. They have more than they know what to do with. Look at verse 8. They are corrupt and speak wickedly. Concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. And yet through all of this, they're living the big life. They've got it made. Everything seems great. They were very proud, Asaph says. They were very arrogant, not unlike a lot of unsaved people that we know. They're very proud, they're very arrogant, they're, and especially if they happen to be well off. They're proud and they're proud of it. He said they're, they wear pride like a chain, like a piece of jewelry to, to show off and to make them look good. And Asaph knew this, he knew that God hated pride. But yet to see the proud untouched by God was a very troubling thing to him. The wicked flaunted their evil doings like someone would flaunt a, a new piece of jewelry or a new car or maybe a new gun. Yes, look at me. And they're always just flaunting the way they lived and bragging about their wickedness and, and boasting about the way they lived. And, and, and again, they getting by with it. They lived like fat cats. They seemingly had more than they knew what to do with. But perhaps the most troubling part of all of this, more so than what they wore or where they lived or how they acted, the most troubling part of all of this was the way they talked, especially about spiritual things. How many of you can relate to what I'm saying tonight? I mean, you, you know, you, you may have someone in mind right now. And they're always, they're always cursing. They're, they're always making fun of people that go to church and always using God's name in vain and, 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 and mocking the things of the Lord and, and calling Christians all kinds of names. They scoff at righteousness. They spoke against the power and the the place of God in, in heaven. They were self-promoting, they were anti-God, and they were worldly. And yet as Asaph observed their lives, perhaps from a, a distance, they were the ones that were getting a slice of the pie and not Asaph. They were the ones that had seemingly more money than they knew what to do with. 
They were the ones that were always rolling up in a new chariot. They were the ones that were sporting the designer sandals and the name brand tunics. They would cuss at God and curse God and speak evil against the God of heaven. And Asaph's there and he's just waiting for lightning to drop, but it never happened. And he was waiting for the earth. He, he knew the stories of the Old Testament. He was waiting for the earth to open up and swallow them. But it never happened. Look at verse 10. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge? In the Most High. Verse 16. When I thought to know this, so the more I thought on this, the more, the more it hurt. Verse 10. Go back and look at the first part of that. He says, therefore his people return hither. What he's saying is this, is that the righteous, those that loved God and were living for God and were honoring God with their lives, they just keep coming back to this subject over and over again in their minds. And, and it's like it just sucks the tears right out of them as though they were being wrung out. I mean, this was very troubling to people like Asaph who were trying to live according to the, the word of God and were trying to be righteous men and righteous women and honor God and honor the things of God. And, and it was like he would just go back to this, this, every time he would see somebody or every time he would be reminded of something, he would go back to this in his heart and in his mind. And, and in, in his pain, Listen, in his pain, he began to question whether or not God was even aware of what was going on. Does, is God even paying attention? Does God even know what he just said? Does God even know how they're living? Does God even know, and, and if he does, does he care that these people are blaspheming his name? That they're living in sin? That they're mocking those who live godly and live righteously? You tracking with me? I mean, this was the struggle and it was real. And I'm telling you tonight, this is still a struggle in 2018 for God's people. I'm talking about us who are sitting here tonight. And all of these struggles led to some real confusion. First of all, about how to live. And I, I, I appreciate Asaph's honesty here. Because he puts it right out there where it is. In verse 13, he said this. Verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain. And wash my hands in innocency, for all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. You get what he's saying there? To his way of thinking, 
here, here just, we'll just say it like this, to his way of thinking, he has wasted his time living for God. I mean, he has given up so much and he has forfeited so much that he could have had had he not lived for God. In his mind, his righteousness was both fruitless and foolish. This might be the modern day equivalent. I'm faithful to church. I'm faithful to give. I serve in ministry. I witness to people. I write encouraging notes and send encouraging emails and encouraging texts to people that I know are struggling and people that I know are hurting. I do my best to visit those who are sick. For what? For what, Asaph says? For this? For this life, for the suffering, for the agony, for the pain, for the struggles? I'm doing all of this, and they're doing all of that, and this is what I get? This is how God chooses to treat me? This is how God chooses to let things happen in my life? Asa felt like he would have been better off to have lived like the ungodly. He would have much rather at one point at least in his life, he would have enjoyed much better the, the pleasure and the passion and the pride of the wicked than to have to endure the suffering that seemed to plague his life. It's like, God, one day, can I just get one break? And that didn't have to be a big one, just a little one. Can I just have a little break? <laughs> you ever been there? <laughs> I don't call their name, I don't want to embarrass them, but when I was walking into my office, somebody walked in the door. I thought they said, Pastor, excuse me, but they said, Pastor, shoot me. When I turned around and saw what it, who it was, I said, you got a gun? No. I said, Pastor, shoot me. I said, what's going on? They started telling me about all of the difficulties they're having with their car and how the, the part stores called all three of them. They can't find the part and it's going to cost X amount of dollars and they just got through spending X amount of dollars, and, and uh, I get it. I get it. But yet there's somebody that's out there tonight. They're not in church on a Wednesday night. They're not even church one time on a Sunday. And they probably drive a nicer vehicle. And their tires last forever. And their ball joint never goes out. And they've got money to, to spare. Come on, you with me tonight? 
God, what's going on? Man, I don't get it. I thought I understood this book, but man, I must really have misread it. Because I'm trying to do the math here, but God, it's not adding up. It's just not. And he was confused. There was a point in his life when he really didn't know if living for God was all it was cracked up to be. I'm guessing there's some here tonight who've entertained that same thought. You know, do you realize how much money we'd have to spend if we didn't tithe? And give to missions? And give to the building fund? Do you, you, you realize how much we could do and places we could go and activities we if, if we listen if, if we didn't get a church on wednesday night august 1st in the middle of, you know what we could be doing tonight you know the trips we could take if church wasn't such a priority in our life I'm just not sure this is worth it. Seems like I'm doing all of this for nothing. For sickness, for pain, for mistreatment. I'm doing all of this, and what good is it doing me? And so there was confusion, a little confusion in his mind about how should I live? And then look at verse 15. If I say, I will speak thus. In other words, if I I start talking about what's really on my heart right now and what I'm really thinking right now, he said, I should offend against the generation of thy children. So it appears as though Asaph kept all of this to himself because he knew that if he were to express what was on his heart to anyone but God then it would more than likely damage their faith and their confidence and you got to give him credit here he didn't want to do that Asaph didn't want to put thoughts in the heads of others that they didn't need to have there You don't want to damage the foundation of their peace and and their hope and their joy. So here's what Asaph teaches us tonight. The best place to take complaints is to the Lord. Now listen, having said that, I don't want you to ever think you can't come to your pastor and share your heart. So I'll make you this promise tonight. I'll never sit in judgment. I'll never judge you for sharing your heart with your pastor. If you think life stinks, and you come sit in my office and say, Pastor, I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't even know if God loves me. I don't even know if there is a God. My life stinks. 
I'm a safe place. I will not judge you for that. Because sometimes life can get to the place where that's exactly how we feel. And we begin to ask the same questions that Asaph asked. But let me just tell you, I'm human. And I may, I may be a quick fix, let you get things off your chest. Let me tell you something. Your best place is to take it to God. Because God can take it. He's big enough to take your anger. He's big enough to take your pain. He's big enough to field all of your questions, so just go ahead and talk to him about it. I go back to what David said in Psalm 142. I poured out my complaint before the Lord. Don't keep those emotions cooped up inside of you. Because all you're doing is building layer after layer of resentment and hardship between you and God. Usually after a message like this, somebody will come up to me and say something like this. Preacher, you've been reading my email. No, I just know that we're all human, and I know that we all struggle. I know that we're no better than Asaph. All right, preacher, you nailed me. Guilty as charged. So now what do I do? What do we do? When our theology clashes with reality. How do we hold on to the conviction that God is good when life is bad? I believe Asaph answers these questions for us. He begins with a return to God's house. I love verse 17. Everything that I just preached, keep that in mind, everything I just preached, then Asa said this, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Listen, church, where you stand determines what you see. Where you stand determines what you see. If I could bring this into the New Testament way of thinking, Asaph met God at church. And it was there that his eyes were opened once again and turned toward God and his goodness and away from the things of the world. So can I just... Put a plug in again tonight for Wednesday night church. And we come in here and we're charged up, we're revved up, and we leave here Sunday night and we're ready to go. And we go to work on Monday and we go to work on Tuesday. And it's like, <laughs> listen, Wednesday night church is a great place to come and get recharged. 
give you what you need to get through Thursday and Friday. And hopefully you've got Saturday off and then Sunday we're back in church and we're singing and we're clapping and we're praising the Lord and we're being challenged by the Word of God. Wednesday night church is important. Asaph turned his eyes back to God in the sanctuary. And God met him there. And he began to replace the lies that he had been believing with the truth that could set him free. And that's what I hope will, will happen in part tonight. If, 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 if this is so real and raw to you tonight, then I hope that you're going to be reminded that God really is good. Listen, the worst thing that a person can do is remove themselves from God's house. Again, in verse 17, Asaph began to reconsider what was really in store for the wicked. He said, until I went in the sanctuary of God, he said, then I understood, or perhaps we could say this, then I was reminded of their end. Surely thou didst set them, that's the, the wicked, the ungodly, the, the blasphemers, those who mock God, those who live their lives as though there is no God, he said, you set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Asaph said, I went into the house of God and I was reminded of the truth that the wicked will not triumph forever. And I was reminded of the reality that while their life may be good, their death will not. The truth is, in comparison to eternity, the wicked man's life of pleasure and ease is short-lived. Come on, I don't care if they manage to live to be 105 years old compared to eternity. That's just a drop in a bucket. The only future they have to look forward to is one of destruction. Let me share these verses with you real quick. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall encompass him. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day, look at it, church. God knows that his day, the wicked's day, is coming. Fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious at the wicked. Well, there shall be no reward to the evil men. 
The candle of the wicked shall be put out. While the wicked may feel secure at the present, the truth is they're standing in slippery places. They will not be able to stand against the pressures of time or divine intervention. Their destruction will be swift and complete. Now listen to me. I probably said all that as though it was a good thing. But it's not. What I just said about the wicked, what we just read about the wicked, that's nothing for us to exalt in. That's nothing for us to high-five each other and, and fist bump each other. Yeah, whoa, yeah, it's gonna, yeah, you're going down. The other night, Kevin's been staying with us, Brother Tyler and Jenny gone the other night, and he gets out to vacuum. He starts vacuuming the, the rug out in the living room. He takes a couple blankets, he lays them out there. He takes some other things, he lays them around the blankets. I know what he's doing, he's setting up the wrestling ring. Him and Papa are about to throw down. He hadn't quite got it down yet. Papa, go put on your Nike shorts, we need to match. I said, no, dude, you don't understand, we're not friends. We're not friends, we're enemies. He said, well, Papa, take your shirt off. I said, ain't happening. It's your remake of Son of Flubber. Ain't happening. So he says, okay, Papa, you, you, you come over here and we'll come. I said, no, you don't get it. We're not friends. We're enemies. He says, okay. And Grammy starts the music. He said, Papa, here's, what I, here's how I want you to come out. He trots out there, goes around a coffee table. And I want you to stand right here. I said, okay. And he looked at me. He said, Papa, you're going down. <laughs> Didn't quite turn out the way he wanted it to, but. See, in our house, we don't let kids win. We don't give them anything. they got to earn it. That's the rule given to me by his daddy. So anyway, Kevin and I got after it. He said, Papa, you're going down. You know, our attitude tonight, I don't want to come across as, yeah, I can't wait for that sinner to go to hell. That should not be our attitude. But here's, here's what it should do tonight, church. It should serve as a reminder that what we're suffering now is nothing compared to that of the wicked in eternity if they don't repent. Remember where Paul said, I, I don't know, maybe over in the book of Romans perhaps, where he talked about the Oh, how did he put that? Um, no suffering for the present. I'm paraphrasing here. No suffering that we endure in the present even compares to the glory that 
that we'll live in for all eternity. And it's just the opposite for the wicked. No glory that they live in here will compare to the hell that they will live in for eternity. And church, I know it gets tempting and, and it gets inviting and, and man, I got to have this, I got to have that. So we, we don't give, we don't tithe, we don't give to missions and, and we... we we go here, we go there, we do this, we do that, because we feel like, hey, we only have one life, got to grab for the gusto and all that other nonsense. And I know it's tempting to get wrapped up in that as a believer, but listen to me, church, our day is coming. And it's going to be a glorious day. We will spend all of eternity with Jesus Christ. So Asaph began to repent. And it's right here. Look at verse 21. Thus my heart was grieved. And I was pricked, poked, convicted in my reins. I said, man, I got back to church Wednesday night. Preacher stood up there and preached. It's like God just, God just pounded me. God convicted me for the way I was thinking and, and, and the, the fact that I was about where the pastor talked about tonight. I was about to just chunk it all and give up. And, and then he gets up there and preaches from Psalm 73. And now God's convicted me. Verse 22, so foolish was I. Now, he's being real honest here and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Man, what a confession. What a confession. As Asaph recalled what he knew to be true concerning the end of the wicked, he was convicted in his heart. And he confessed his foolishness before God. And it led to a personal review of all of his blessings that God had given him. Verse 23. You still with me? Nevertheless, in spite of all of the good things that are happening to bad people and, and all of the things that are going on, regardless of what they say and, and how they act, nevertheless, he said, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom am I in heaven? Love this. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. And you talk about a turnaround. You talk about a change. I mean, look 
at where God is bringing him. My flesh and my heart faileth. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not out of the woods yet. I, I'm, I'm struggling. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Mm. At one point, it was, does God even know what's going on? Is there even a God in heaven? Hello? Hello, God? It's, it's me, it's Asaph. Is there even any knowledge? <laughs> From there to who have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. First of all, Asaph knew that no matter what happened to him or what came his way, God was with him. And notice, listen, it's not because he clung to God, but rather God would not let him go. Thou hast holden me, he said, by my right hand. Asaph was reassured of God's leading in his life and that it would eventually take him all the way to glory. And then he sums it up in verse 25. Again, whom am I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. And then he ends this chapter with a contrast between the wicked and the godly man. Verse 27. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me draw near to God I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works instead of focusing on the ungodly listen to me the righteous the saved the children of God are better served if we draw nigh to God and continue to trust him. Asaph's conclusion is an example of godly thinking at its best. It is foolish to envy the wicked. Foolish, but human. But human. It's very difficult at times as we wrestle with the tension of holding on to God's goodness and sovereignty while dealing with the tragedies that we and those we love experience. Would you agree with that tonight? It's hard. It's a difficult thing. 
what Asaph experienced tonight is a trap that we can all fall into at some point if we're not careful. And quite honestly, it may be something that you're caught up in right now. Not, not because you're a bad person by any means. But because you're human. And God put you in a chair at 310 West Pancake tonight because he knew. And God had me preach what I preach tonight because he knew. He is a good God. And we're human. And sometimes we wrestle with the reality of what Asaph wrestled with.